Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And wow, we are so excited because we are back in Lourdes, France. And I've got Robert Hutton here with me. Robert, how are you doing? Doing well, Deacon Jeff. Getting used to the the big breakfast, lunch, and dinners we have whenever we come to France. I I love pilgrimage because you eat a lot. I know. Gain about five pounds. (laughs) Exactly. It's beautiful. And we have a wonderful guest with us to start our series of shows here on pilgrimage off. And we we have, uh, yeah, we have Cardinal Francis George from the Archdiocese of Chicago, Archbishop there. Right. And uh, we are so thrilled and honored that you would uh, you'd bless us with your presence here. And I'm very glad to be with you. Thanks, Deacon. Your Eminence, wh- while we're here in Lourdes, we understand we come here on pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should just talk about the concept and understanding of why we, why we come here. Why does the church come to Lourdes? Because the Blessed Mother appeared <laughs> first. And uh, Lourdes is a city of the sick. Every time I've come, this is my third pilgrimage, first with the Order of Malta. I've always been impressed on how everything is uh, oriented towards the welfare of the sick, especially the gravely ill, and uh, these are people who are often overlooked or cast aside. Here they're the center of everything, as they are in the heart of the Lord and of the Blessed Mother. And so it's a wonderful thing for us to to participate in that, to be privileged, to enter into that mystery of uh, their suffering because it builds up the church. Uh, The Blessed Mother promised Bernadette that uh, she would give her eternal happiness but suffering in this life. And she had a short life. She died at 35 and was very much misunderstood and also was uh, under much physical pain. And yet from that has come this shrine, you know, from that uh, gentleness that she saw in the smile of the Blessed Mother and uh, that smile that continues even in the midst of uh, suffering. Uh, I think the suffering makes no sense unless it's accompanied by love, then everything comes together because uh, to love is always a sacrifice. And uh, you see that very visibly here in the sacrifice and generosity of the people who help the malads, as the Order of Malta calls the sick, and in the sick themselves, who very often uh, not only call for generosity from others, but have a kind of an open heart. They're not captivated solely by their illness. It can sometimes happen, as we know. You mentioned... I think you use the word wonderful being here, mm. right? And, and you say we are. It's the city of the sick. We're among the sick here. Sure. The, the very sick, many of them gravely ill. Yes. Uh, and then also you, you mentioned that, that suffering builds up the church. I want to talk about that for a second. And just that may seem countercultural, right? You'd think that the suffering would be the weak leak in the chain, right? But the, but the church and, of course, our Lord doesn't, doesn't feel that way. How does suffering actually build up the church? Well, it seems countercultural because most cultures are based upon power, not just ours, but any. And uh, <clears throat> the, uh, sickness is a weakness. But uh, that's how God saves the world. I mean, uh, Jesus uh, refused an earthly crown, and instead uh, his throne was a cross. And so, uh, as our present Holy Father keeps saying again and again, we preach a Christ crucified. And without that, uh, it's, it's a wrong Christ. So we all have to go through suffering to the joy of the resurrection. That's possible because the bridge there is love. And we, we know that anyone who loves knows that uh, in placing somebody else at the center of your life, there's a certain pain, a certain purification that takes right. place. So suffering and love go together. And that's, uh, since God is love, 
the way of the Lord himself. Right. In fact, many expected that, you know, the Savior, when, when the Messiah came, that he yeah. would be a great military leader and come mm. in on horses. And, right? <laughs> and so instead, in, in his crown being the cross, as you, as you so aptly put it, it seems the opposite of what, what, we'd, ex- what we'd expect. And so the same mm. way with our, our sick and our suffering, that mm-hmm. actually that's our, our crowning jewel, the crowning gem of, the, of well, the church. It's the only way to reverse the consequences of sin. Sin started when the human beings at the time said uh, we're equal to God or maybe smarter than God. And so the only way uh, to, to get away from that is to uh, accept uh, everything as a gift from God. And in that humility, then we overcome uh, the natural tendency of self-righteousness. That's part of sinning. And uh, here we all know righteousness is God's righteousness. It's a gift. And uh, that's just a different vision, it, but it's different from any culture. It, it's, uh, the gospel is the only original voice anywhere in the world. It's the only voice that's truly distinctive for the reason you said. And, but that makes it hard. Uh, but that's also part of suffering, not to be understood by your own people. Well, and speaking of making it hard, I mean, a lot of people hear this word or hear this message, hear this gospel, and they, mm. and they, they find it difficult to, sure. to follow that, right? Who doesn't? <laughs> Welcome to the club. We, we, we all experience <laughs> suffering in some way, and some worse than others. Yeah. And so what do we say to those folks who are experiencing that suffering in terms of uniting that suffering to, to, the, to the greatest suffering that took place at the salvation of the world, right? Mm-hmm. That, that yeah, we participate the in the sufferings of Christ, and that's how we participate also in his glory. Well, people of faith understand that, although we have to be reminded of it, often by the sick themselves. Uh, it's amazing when you see someone who is sick and they're more concerned about someone else than about themselves. You know, when you're in pain, uh, your world ends at your fingertips, where your nervous system ends. Unless, because we're spirit as well as body, you can overcome that. Uh, the Epistle to the Hebrews says that Jesus learned compassion in his suffering. And so when someone who is suffering is concerned more about others than about themselves, you see the effects of God's grace. And it happens all the time. It's daily miracles. And it's very, very humbling and uh, Wonderful to see. Well, and also you, you, we mentioned that person that's suffering, uniting their suffering to the suffering of Christ, and, and, and maybe that, that suffering has meaning and purpose now. I mean, there's, there's a, something there to that. But what about also the folks? I'm always amazed at the people that come to, to assist, those that help. Mm-hmm. We learn so much. Sure. From that experience. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so interesting to see how much healing and how many miracles take place in those that weren't even thinking they were going to seek a miracle. Sure, sure. No, it is, it's not only meaning its objective value and i think that's understood by the people who 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 learn in helping the sick who they really are uh that's also something that stays with people for life when you talk to them you know sometimes you can say well why are you spending so much time doing that but they always get more out of it uh, than than they put into it they'll all tell you that you know that yeah, and now I know that uh, obviously we're here in like again the city of the sick. We, we're here in Lourdes, and it's a it's a focal point, and it's where we see a lot of this uh, that we're speaking about taking place. But really, you don't have to make a pilgrimage to Lourdes to experience this the, the healing or the the blessing that comes through this uniting that suffering to what Christ did for us. And so, how do we envision experiencing some of that outside of a pilgrimage experience? The Eucharist, first of all, the same Eucharist is celebrated here that brings us into the participating in uh, Christ's suffering is celebrated everywhere. Whenever the Mass is celebrated, that's the center of the world for that moment. And uh, so it's universal. It's uh, possible because Christ is risen and the actions of Christ now pass into the sacraments of the Church, as Pope Leo the Great said. So the uh, action of the Mass is Christ's activity and we participate in it. And since he suffered, we participate in that suffering spiritually. And then when it comes to us, in fact, physically, 
um, that too, uh, you know, is taken up into it. it. It's it's all of a piece. It's truly of a piece, and it's the Blessed Mother that makes it possible because she wants us to be saved. That's the only thing she wants. She doesn't want her son's work to be wasted. Mm. So she's created this place, and uh, it's a place of great devotion uh, <clears throat> because uh, it's a place that's founded on truth. Cardinal Newman once said that if you have a doctrine and it's not accompanied by devotion, it will eventually disappear. And so we know doctrinally who the Blessed Mother is as an interceder, as someone who, who guards the church, is the mother of the church, because it's the, <clears throat> she's the mother of the body of her son. And if we don't experience it, though, as they do here, with the song and with the prayer, with the devotion, then it just becomes an abstract idea, and it's lost. Uh, you see that even in people who, who know who Mary is, uh, especially some of our Protestant brothers and sisters, but who, because they don't want to give devotion, eventually forget who she is. You have to have that kind of emotional uh, encounter, in a sense, with, with a person in order to know the truth about them. So it happens here. And uh, that's also something that's really marvelous. And she suffered, of course, at the foot of the cross, especially the Sorrowful yeah. Mother. When I was a little boy growing up in Chicago, we had the Sorrowful Mother Novena precisely to bring the Second World War to an end uh, because that devotion started in the great wars of religion in Europe. And so many people were lost. And that's when you see the Sorrowful Mother Novena starting. Uh, in a sense, it's continued here uh, because uh, Mary presented herself as uh, the Immaculate Conception, but then she called the suffering to come to her here. So it's all of a piece if you start putting the pieces together, and that's, I think, what comes together in the life of pilgrims here. You can see it. There's a wholeness right. that's created. By the well, in this here. pilgrimage, obviously, we, we spend time not only at the grotto, mm. right? We spend time in, in several times in Mass, and we encounter sure. all those things. So we see that connectivity. Sure, uh, very much so. There. And I love that, that concept and the idea when people are talking about Mass, and maybe some people have forgotten this idea, that this is a time when heaven meets earth, right? When mm -hmm. there's that great uh, cosmic union that happens. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so beautiful, especially sure. at, the, at that at that elevation you know, of, of the Eucharist. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. time, and people don't often re realize that Whatever empty seats there might be are filled with all of the, the saints, the martyrs that have gone before us, They're the angels in heaven. Named in the God. canon, yeah. And the two great processions here are precisely the rosary procession and the procession with the Blessed Sacrament. So, you know, it comes together in that way, too, in the, in the regular rhythm of the pilgrims here. Whoever figured this out did a great job. <laughs> yeah, well, I think maybe the Holy Spirit had something to do with all I, this I stuff. I would think so. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good thing. And so now uh, let's talk a little bit about the Blessed Mother and, and just this idea that we come into her arms. You know, obviously our earthly mothers, we sure. recognize the great value as a child to having someone who, to console us, to, to be there for You're us. safe. Yeah, right. and it's such a beautiful thing to see that here. Uh, in Lourdes, and again, maybe in the Universal Church, while we have we've always lauded the Blessed Mother, and we we've always put her in a, in a rightful place, the highest um, among created beings, you know, just mm -hmm. of all of us to, to look as a, a great example. But do you think in modern times that we've that some people maybe have forgotten the great value and the great comfort that can be had in a relationship with the Blessed Mother? Well, it depends where you are. I think that hasn't happened in South America, certainly not with the Mexicans. Our Lady Guadalupe is, uh, you know, very much uh, part of their life. And now, because uh, in the United States we have so many immigrants from Mexico, it's become part of all mm. of our lives. And that devotion to uh, Mary, who appeared uh, 500 years ago at the beginning of uh, the European occupation of our continent, uh, and created, therefore, the church in Mexico <clears throat> is uh, now a devotion that's universal. 
And uh, I think that's part of immigration. We learn from immigrants. We learn even things we've forgotten. Mm. Maybe the Mexicans have taught us again what it means to love the Blessed Virgin, as the Polish immigrants have taught us what it means to adore the Blessed Sacrament with the Corpus Christi processions. So all those things were part of uh, Catholic life in the United States as I grew up. And then they were kind of uh, put aside for a little bit uh, after the council because there were other priorities. The liturgy particular almost became uh, an enemy of devotion, which is a mistake. Uh, and, and the concern for the conversion of the world uh, took center place, as it should, but only if you're converting it to Christ's ways. So, uh, you know, it's a matter of balance. And because the church is universal, uh, one part balances the other. Right. And in the United States, we're lucky to have all these immigrants to remind us of things that maybe we would have forgotten without them. Amen. So I guess that points out that we are a church of ebb and flow. I mean, there are times the Holy Spirit raises up saints at certain That's times right. to do certain That's things right. exactly uh, that right. we encounter. So, and, and of course, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is actually telling us now we need to take a break. Uh, <laughs> I think so. the clock is telling you that, too. That's all right. <laughs> That's exactly right. So we, uh, we're going to talk more with Cardinal George right after this uh, little break here. But do want to remind folks at home that we have a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And I would love to hear from you, uh, get your ideas on show topics and, and what we're talking about and find out what's going on in your life, send me an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. It is so good, so sweet, and above all, so beneficial to suffer. These are the simple yet powerful words of Bernadette Subaru, St. Bernadette, the humble, uneducated peasant girl from France who was visited by the Blessed Virgin Mary in 1858. In her 18 visits with Bernadette in the grotto at Lourdes, Mary never once promised St. Bernadette happiness in this world. And indeed, throughout her short 35 years on earth, this would prove to be true. Bernadette suffered daily. She was raised in abject poverty, struggling to have even the basic needs of life met. She suffered mockery and ridicule from those who refused to believe her. She was ill virtually all of her short life, suffering from chronic asthma, tuberculosis, high fevers, an extremely debilitating and painful tumor in her knee, and even partial deafness. During this constant trial, the suffering saint prayed, O Jesus and Mary, let my entire consolation in this world be to love you and to suffer for sinners. Bernadette experienced all manner of pain and anguish, yet through it all she remained peaceful, patient, and pious. She never lost her focus on God and living a saintly life. I must die to myself continually, she said, and accept trials without complaining. I work, I suffer, and I love with no other witness than his heart. Anyone who is not prepared to suffer all for the beloved and to do his will in all things is not worthy of the sweet name of friend. For here below, love without suffering does not exist. One might think that Bernadette would have every reason to give up and lose herself in the pain and suffering she endured. But during one of her visits, Mary did offer a great hope to Bernadette when she told her, I promise to make you happy, not in this world, but in the next. 
These words of the Virgin offered comfort to Bernadette and gave her a sense of purpose in cooperating with the divine will. While many have been cured in the healing waters of Lourdes, it would not be so for Bernadette. She was asked why she herself did not experience the same miraculous recovery. She responded simply, The Blessed Virgin perhaps desires for me to suffer. I need it. I'm Bestrozimski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and we're still joined at luxurious corner booth. You're chuckling. <laughs> we're here with uh, with uh, Cardinal Francis George, Your Eminence. Uh, th- th- not just so not luxurious. The, th- yeah, no, that's not so luxurious. <laughs> but somewhat luxurious. Made luxurious by the company, uh-huh. the company that we keep. Very good. Well, so we're talking about suffering. We're continuing this conversation, Your Eminence, and and I know that a lot of people might think that well, as a as a teacher of the church, right? Mm-hmm. As a as a visible sign. Of, of the church and, and, and maybe even the church authority. And we'll see that. And some people will think that maybe the things that you're talking about are things that we, that you, you know, you promulgate that you, mm. but sometimes there's, there's really, uh, there's a personal story and there's a personal application to all of this. Uh, and I know that you've, you've experienced some suffering in your own life. And how has that shaped your view and understanding of the, of the role of suffering in the church? Mm. Well, I, I uh, suppose it's mutual. That is, the personal experience of suffering shapes uh, your <clears throat> sensitivity to the gospel, but the gospel then, even before you mm. suffer, tells you what it's about. Um, I, I had polio when I was a young boy, and uh, I often asked myself when I couldn't run anymore, couldn't play ball, why this was happening. Uh, and I didn't know. didn't know then, don't know now exactly. I mean, except that it takes its place as part of a fallen world. It's the whole cosmos that has fallen. Miracles are what the world would look like if nobody had ever sinned. You know, wow. it's what the, 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 the veil is taken up down and you see the world as God intended it to be, without violence, within peace, with, with health, with all the good gifts that were lost in the sin of our first parents. So uh, that does break through from time to time, but mostly it doesn't until the end of time when everything will be restored uh, to what God wants it to be. In the meantime, the miracles help us to recall God's goodness, but they're exceptions. That's why we call them miracles. Uh, and most of us live with the consequences of uh, sin, even when you know young children aren't guilty of sin personally. But uh, the uh, psychological problem of dealing with it, uh, I was helped very much when, when I was that young, when I was uh, first diagnosed with polio. Uh, and so your whole life changes. The horizon of what you can do uh, changes. Uh, and, and, and a neighbor who, uh, whose daughter had polio, uh, far worse than I did, uh, said, you know, don't ever feel sorry for yourself. There's always someone far worse off than you are. Mm. And I remember that very much. Don't ever feel sorry for yourself. Uh, because if you let self-pity govern your life, if you insist upon understanding yourself just as a victim, well, then you have an excuse uh, not to do anything. That's not what God wants us to do. He gives us gifts, and we should use them. At the same time, it's good to have a sense of our own limitations. I think we do a great disservice to children in our country when we tell them, you can be whatever you want to be. That's nonsense. I can't be an Olympic runner. Uh, So to tell people that they can be whatever they want to be is they just will it, first of all, sets themselves against everybody else because their 
a dream uh, has to take precedence over anybody else's desires, and that means you're you're isolated. You're on an island. And that's our problem in our culture. We have people living on islands pursuing their dreams no matter what happens to anybody else. And that's part of this crazy idea of telling kids they can do whatever they want to be. Uh, that's not true. It would be far better if the parents would tell their kid, look, you're a wonderful child. We love you no matter what. That's how God loves you too. And here is where you should be because this is what you can do well. The rest, well, maybe, but don't be, don't be foolish. You know. I just know that sometimes parents and even people will do that. They do that at out of a, maybe a misplaced, I mean, a, there's a goodness there. They, right? they want you to experience happiness, and they want to see you as if you want to be an astronaut or whatever. You know, they want they want to build that. They think they're building up somebody when they do that. Well, they are, they? but they're setting up for failure when the kid mm-hmm. finds out he can't do math. Right. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, it's good to, I think they do it to encourage kids not to limit yourself, not to cut yourself off too soon, and that's true. That's very, very good. But you can do that in a more realistic way yeah. and in a way that doesn't cause the isolation and even the conflicts that we have all the time. If everybody's a victim, then whom do you sue next? Right. You know, there, there's something screwy about that kind of culture. And unfortunately, it hasn't given us a peaceful culture. It's given us a violent culture. And it hasn't given us a culture of community anymore. People are isolated and alienated. So we should step back and look at that. And, and, and suffering is an occasion. If it's just a pure contradiction it's a conundrum unless you can see that it's love that makes it worthwhile and love means precisely as we said putting somebody else first and unless the family is a school of love where you realize you're not the most important person in the world then uh you're going to have conflict all your life you know it's not going to work i I myself had a struggle with um an illness that they didn't know what it was for a while that they thought could have been a very serious illness Mm -hmm. and i remember when the doctors were thinking about that and one thing it really brought home to me is how dependent we are on God. Mm-hmm. You know, I think just as a father and I'm an attorney, mm-hmm. um, just having that realization that, you know, when you have suffering, when you go through that, that, you know, our life is totally dependent upon God. Mm-hmm. And, and I do, um, I think that that does help. Have you experienced, or I guess another thing though, because people ask me all the time, you know, a lot of people use suffering as an argument that there is no God. I've heard mm-hmm. people say before, oh, I don't believe in God because my, my, di- my daughter died of cancer. Or, yeah. And, and um, what kinds of words have come, when people are struggling with faith because of suffering, that, um, what, what do you tell them to give them comfort that God is an all good God, even if children do suffer in this world? And well, there's no, there's no, logic in that sense that will convince them. I think you have to be present to them because God is present to them and you have to love them and point to the crucifix. Uh, This is how God saves the world and so uh, you know this is how we're saved individually as well. Um, And that, that being present is in my experience anyway the most important thing. Just to be with people. You see that here. I mean, these people are coming. Some, all are helped spiritually, I think, in some fashion. That seems to be the case. Few are helped physically. Some more than others. Sometimes there's a miracle every once in a while. Uh, but the fact is that they have a sense of the presence of God, the presence of the Blessed Mother. And all of that is made possible by the presence of all the people who help. You know, the, the, the people who are taking care of the sick here, uh, who come with the pilgrims. Uh, that, that presence is certainly strengthening for people who are ill. They know they're not alone. Because that's always the fear when you're, when you're very ill, isn't it? That I'm all alone now. Uh, nobody understands exactly what I'm going through, which is subjectively true. Um, so 
being present is a good, good part of the response. You know, it's not a logical response. It's a <clears throat> personal response born of love. And it's effective. People know that. You know, I'm sure that you probably felt that at a certain moment uh, when you had a sense of God's presence to you that in the end all will be well, even though in the meantime things don't look too good. Mm. So I don't know what else to say to that. I mean, I found that... <clears throat> as a matter of pastoral practice to be the most important thing try to be present in some fashion and stay with them well we do refer to it as the as the mystery of suffering we don't know yeah. why god chose to save the world in this this form and fashion because it would seem to go against what you know if they'd asked deacon jeff to save the world you know how would i do it uh and and obviously he didn't and i understand that and but there's a but, but it is a great it is a great mystery and we have lots of questions that maybe we want to ask god when we, when we uh, hopefully see but you him face know, to face. But you know, our, the temptation, especially for us, I think, in our society this time, is self-righteousness. Who are we to put God on the dock? Mm. Uh, you know, God is God, and we're not. And it's not that we're beat down by God. No, he loves us, and he brings us up. But uh, we don't understand very well the consequences of sin. You know, we, we kind of dismiss the whole thing. But it has eternal consequences. And uh, it has consequences in time as well. All of that, and, and sin is collective. Human life is collective. We're not individuals. We're all related to one another. So somebody's. We talk about the saints all the time. We draw on the saints because their virtues are ours in the community of saints. Well, our sins weaken everybody else. Mm. So sinfulness is also a collective responsibility. It's a communal reality that wounds the body of Christ, and we don't realize how how far-reaching that is, and what God had, what lengths God has to go to in order to save us from our own sinfulness. Uh, so to dismiss this as if it were just something that is affecting me is not to understand uh, what the universe is all about. Well, and that's why it's a wonderful opportunity for us to come to a place like Lourdes where we can actually sort of refocus. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. We can see right. that again yeah. in our yeah, lives sure. in, in an active you do. way. Yeah, yeah. If you let it, if you let it speak to you. Yeah. Amen. Well, let's hope that uh, this show has spoken to some people. Uh, mm. Cardinal George, we really appreciate you taking the time to be, to be here. Be Busy you. schedule, you. but we really do appreciate it. Uh, would you close out the show for us here with a, with a little prayer? Oh, sure. Sure. Glad to. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for every day because our time <clears throat> is a gift from you, as is our life, and especially our new life in Christ Jesus. Bless all those who come to this shrine. Bless those who are suffering, who are ill elsewhere. Especially bless those who are taking care of them because of their own great sense of your love for them and the call to love others as Christ would love us. And may Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. for listening to The Catholic Cafe. For more information, visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You'll find many links to Catholic resources on the web. You can also listen to previous shows online, download MP3s, or take advantage of our podcast feature. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. 
there's always room for one more at our table. 